We'll start reading again in verse 1, uh, do a quick review, and then pick it up in 3 and move forward. Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service, if teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So again, Paul is, uh, when he says he's urging them, he is in a sense pleading with them, but this is a, what we would call in the Bible, it's an imperative. So it's, it's a command that we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to, to God. And the main idea is that we are, we are committed to Christ to live for him. We want every aspect of our life to be influenced by the worship, by, by, by the word of God and by the spirit of God. So verse 2 then begins the details of how we're going to do that. What does he mean by being a living sacrifice? How do I present myself to God? Well, the first thing is, is to be aware of the time we live in and he says, don't be conformed to this age. So, our, so we are, again, immediately given this um, concept that the way of the world is at odds with the way of God. And so we need to be aware of that, understand that it has an, a great influence on us, and we have to purposely or intentionally make sure that we are not influenced by the world. So that also then assumes the world wants to impress, uh, wants to impress itself on you, wants to influence you. Uh, it's not that the world has a will of its own, it's just part of the tools that the, that the evil one uses, but it's also just the natural state of the world. Remember the world as a whole, and when we say the world, you know, we're not necessarily talking about the, you know, talking about the planet, but the idea is, is the culture we live in, you know, the people that are around us, so what makes up our age, just has a natural bent away from God. So there's this way of thinking that excludes God. And the desire is, is to influence who we are, the way we think, that kind of thing. So we have to be aware of that. And then, of course, he tells us the way that we're, we're going to make sure that we're not conforming to the world then is not so much that we just make sure we don't do certain things. Because normally that's normally how we might approach something. Well, I don't want to be conformed to the world, so I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to go to movies. I'm not going to read the internet. And you can live that way, and that's fine. But that's not going to prevent you from being conformed to the world. Right? That, may be, that may be helpful, but that's by itself not going to do it. The way that we're going to be able to mitigate and prevent or hinder the world from influencing us is for our minds to be transformed. And that's why there's always been this emphasis on the Bible within Christianity. That God has communicated to us, God has given us his word, 
And so the idea has always been to read the Bible, to study the Bible, to talk about the Bible, to go to the Bible looking for wisdom, looking for understanding, trying to evaluate every aspect of life, whether it's private life, public life, in light of what the Word of God says. Uh, it's understanding that the Word of God is very broad in uh, its subject matter. Okay, The Bible is not just a little book that only tells us how to be saved, and that's it. That, that is part of it. It's obviously a very important part, but that's not all of it. God has really something to say about everything. We go to the Bible to find not only the commands of God, but then also the principles that we should live by. Because obviously every single thing isn't addressed. All right? When the Bible was written, over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, there were things that were not yet invented. But we are still able to navigate our way through life at, by following the principles, the morals, the ethics that are laid out in Scripture. Uh, and, um, and so that's, that's what he tells us to do. So when it comes to that, I, what, what we do need to make sure we understand is that for your mind to be transformed as a Christian, that is something that God expects from every single believer. It is a, it's a natural part of living life. That's why it's important for you to make it, a, for all of us, to make it a habit of finding ways to basically ingest the Word of God on a regular basis. You know, if you read the Bible every day, that's good. Okay, and we might call that devotional reading. Whether you're reading a chapter a day, three chapters a day, you're, you're reading the Word of God, you're, you're, just, you're just absorbing what it says, you are thinking about it, uh, obviously, but every day you're reading through the Word of God. But then besides that, the Bible talks about studying the Word of God. And when it comes to studying it, again, that's not then just a devotional or a cursory reading, but the idea is that we're trying to dig into the details trying to figure out what specifically is being communicated. Why is it being communicated? Why, you know, when Paul writes, why did he say it that way? What problem specifically was he addressing? What ways does that apply to us? All those different kinds of things. We look up, you know, uh, especially those who are doing teaching, we're looking up words and phrases, either in the Greek or in the Hebrew, and trying to figure out you know, all of the nuances of what's being communicated. We're trying to study the depths of the scripture. Um, and so we're, we're commanded to do that. You know, pastors are to feed uh, God's sheep. So their primary responsibility is to study the word of God. So that, so that doesn't mean that the pastor just reads a little bit more each week than you do. The idea is that he's supposed to labor in it. The idea is that he, it's kind of like uh I mean, in a sense, the word that's used is that you are, uh, there's intense labor to the point of exhaustion. Now, I will say, and I think this is true for most pastors, that, you know, when it comes to hard work, hard work does not always mean that something's drudgery. There's always drudgery in certain aspects of things that we do. But oftentimes, people who work really hard at certain things, even their hobby, if it requires hard work, is something they can enjoy. So, so, I, so I don't want anyone to think that, for example, so when I'm studying, I'm not sitting in my office saying, oh, man, I got to study again today. I got four hours I got to go through this stuff. I'm not, this doesn't, doesn't cross my mind. That's, I want to do that. You know, I want to I know these things, and I want to read all this stuff that, you know, relates to it, and then other things that relate to what relates, and you can kind of go day after a while. But, so it's a thing that you want to do. Um, 
you know, and I want, you know, I want to know as much as possible about everything, and I want to know how everything is, is you know, w what is it compared to what the Word of God is? How do I understand this? How do I think about this as a Christian? That kind of thing. But all that is, is centered on the Word because that is what's going to influence us. That's what the Spirit of God uses to change who we are, to change the way we think. Uh, as, as the Word of God changes the way you think, that then changes the way you feel. It changes the way you respond to life spontaneously. It's what God uses to change your personality. Uh, you, you know, you could try to change your personality, and you may be a little successful, usually or not, but when the changes are being brought about by the Lord, you be, you're, you're becoming a different person. You're, you are a new person in Christ, and the idea then is for you and I to become like Him, to become like Him in uh, our understanding of people, in our love of people, in our love of God, um, you know, in our desire to do what's right. All those things, you know, God's working all that, and all that is happening through the Word of God. And so that's why that's always been, you know, the focal point of, of Christianity. Uh, in fact, that is one of the things that drove in early Christianity, um, after the era of the early church, so we're, we're, we're now down to, uh, we'll say somewhere around 200 A.D., and then moving forward, throughout uh, most of the history of the church, there's always been an emphasis in the church on education. Whenever missionaries would go out, the goal was always education. The idea was is that to, to better any culture or any group of people, the more they learn, the more knowledge they get, the better off they're going to be. And that would usually involve reading. Missionaries sometimes would go into a, a place where the, the people didn't have a written language. They only had an oral language. So many missionaries would go, learn the language, then create that language in written form, then translate the Bible into that language, then teach the people how to read their language so they could have the Bible. And so uh, the educational movement throughout the world, the, the various universities throughout the world, almost all of them in the very beginning were started by Christians. Christians were doing that because they wanted mankind to understand God's revelation because they believed God's revelation was for everyone. Uh, and so there's been an emphasis through the years. So, and you can see that today. It, most people are, I don't want to say most people are unaware of it. Many people are unaware of it, but Harvard and Yale and all those schools, they were all started out as like basically seminaries. Now most of them don't really want you to talk about God uh, on their campuses. and They've moved away from the scripture. That's how they all started. And that's the desire of Christians to advance the cause, not just of Christianity, but to advance the cause and, and the life of those that they were ministering to. They wanted everyone to flourish. And they knew that with the truth of the word of God, they would flourish. They, they, would, they would do better um, in life. And so that's, you know, that's part of what's influenced Christianity uh, and influenced the world through the years. So that's why the mind uh, is such a big emphasis in, in the Bible uh, on the mind. Uh, again, we're not ignoring the other aspects of our humanity, but that's the big one. And, and the one that we want to make sure that we engage in. So then Paul goes on, uh, when you look at verse 3, again, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. So he gets down to an attitude that we have because of what he's going to get into next. So he's just addressing uh, a basic way of how we live our life in the world. And he understands, human beings, that 
we do think a lot of ourselves. So he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. So the way that we would understand that would be, we don't go around thinking that we're just scum. Okay, that's, not, that's never the idea. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we are fantastic and that we make no mistakes. Okay, we have to have a proper view of ourselves. So remember, so there's this idea that's in the Bible. Again, that has been unique among, in Christianity. And that is every single human being is created in the image of God. And based on that alone, that individual has, is, has or possesses great value. There's an inherent dignity that they possess. That's why we should be respectful of all people, because that individual is created in the image of God. Uh, and so that was, again, a unique thing, both among the Jews and among Christians, because many religions and philosophies just didn't address that. If you look at different cultures throughout the years, uh, throughout the centuries, uh, there are times when certain people, whether it's based on financial wealth or a lack of it, uh, whether it's based on the region that they lived in or who their ancestors were. There were those individuals who were treated differently, treated as being inferior because of those things. And therefore, they weren't shown respect, dignity, etc. They would be abused. We know that slavery has existed in all forms. I was, I was reading a book uh, a couple years ago and the guy was uh, trying to come up with a list of ethnicities that throughout the world, or throughout world history, he was trying to identify which ethnicities have never been, at any point in their history, been enslaved. And there's, there is none. Every single ethnicity, at some point, at, in some place, in some country, people have been enslaved. It's just, slavery's been a, a part of human history for a long time. It's evil, but it's been part of human history for a long time. So the idea of, of slavery in many places flourished because those who owned slaves or those who were involved in the slave did not believe that every single person was what? Valuable in that way. That they didn't possess dignity. That they were somehow below them in certain ways. In fact, that's how some people who would feel guilty would justify what they were doing. Is well, but they're not really human or they're not fully human or whatever the case may happen to be. So this concept that everyone possesses uh, value is a unique Christian. Now, many people today, like in our society, many individuals take it for granted that it's just truth that everybody should know, that everyone's valuable. That is a uniquely Christian doctrine that comes from the Bible. It's been adopted by people through the years, become just a part of our culture, and many people just assume we just came up with it. But that's not how it works. And that's not what happened in history. And you can just read about it all you want, no matter what approach you take, and you will see that people are mistreated. And it still takes place. Um, I know that officially, India no longer has a caste system, but it, it still exists. They still use it. There's four basic uh, uh, castes of people. The Brahmins are the highest, uh, and then you have the low. And so basically, there's no intermarriage allowed. So if you are, so if you're from a, uh, a wealthy family or a higher class family, you would never allow your son or your daughter to ever marry anybody in the lower class. Never. It didn't matter how smart that individual was. It didn't matter how hardworking they were. It didn't, mean, it didn't matter. It just, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to be done. And that's because they believed they were below them. In fact, it's so strong. I was talking to a friend of mine. This was several years ago. 
he was going over and he was uh, in, a, in a consultant capacity helping um, the Indian government with some of their harbors in managing the harbor, uh, getting them to be able to expand, you know, freight, import, export, all different kinds of things that, that go on in, into engineering a harbor. And he said that um, when he took a taxi from the airport to the, um, to the hotel, you know, there was these guys that would come out and they would grab your bags. So like what many Americans would do, when the individual would bring the bag, you would either thank them and or give them a tip. And he said when he tried to do that, the guy would get angry, get, get mad at him. He says, don't, don't do that, don't do that. And he, and he remember he said he was told by certain individuals that where he was actually asked for, the, for him to treat them poorly. Because A, that's how they, what they deserved, but they were also afraid that if he treated them above what others thought was above his caste, they would later have someone come and beat them. And so they didn't want any trouble. So there's an expectation that you'd be treated, for example, like dirt uh, kind of a thing. So this kind of thing still goes on in the world uh, and is accepted as part of just the norm. Uh, and those countries, uh, many of those individuals look like at our country and think there's, what's wrong with you guys? There's something wrong with you, you know, that you don't live this way because this is the normal way, the right way. So this idea, this concept about God is really important. So again, what Paul is getting at here, as he talks to all these different people with all these different backgrounds, he's addressing them as individuals and says, you need to make sure that you don't think more highly of yourself or think that you're more important than you really are. Of course, the comparison is always going to be what the, that we are what the scripture says we are. This is what God says you are. So the individual from the low cat, lower caste, if, if, that's, if there's a caste system, recognizes that they are a child of God, that they have intrinsic value and dignity, that they are loved and cared for, which is a unique thing for them and would be very encouraging. Then, the, then those in the upper class would realize that they're not better than others because, you know, even when it comes to salvation, Everyone comes to salvation or receives salvation, what? The same way, by faith in Christ. Christ did not only die for certain groups. He died for all, whether you're rich or whether you are whatever ethnicity you are. He died for our sin. And so there is this idea that we are to have a proper view of ourselves. All right, so again, we're not the scum of the earth, but we, you know, obviously we don't think that we're some kind of a demigod and that we are to think about ourselves in a proper way. But he does that because what he gets into uh, and what he's going to explain, certain people will be led into thinking arrogantly. Because whenever we're dealing with differences between people, that's what does tend to happen in our flesh. Okay, when I say in our flesh, normally what that means is uh, outside of the influence of the Spirit of God or Scripture, that's kind of the natural way that man thinks. So that's what it means in the flesh. Sometimes a believer, in a sense, can be in the flesh we're not thinking as we should. Uh, in the flesh would also refer to all those who are secular. Not every single individual always thinks wrong all the time, but in general, this is the way that it is. So people can think this way. If you've ever been around individuals or a lot of individuals who are extremely wealthy, you'll find that sometimes, even today, they treat others as if you are their servant, especially if you go to a place to where people... Um, are involved in what, what we call uh, the service industry. Uh, my wife cuts hair. She works at a, um, a, a hair salon that's right outside the landings. 
there's a lot of wealthy people that live out there. And she says there are certain people that when they come in, they're just different. And she says they, and my wife says it's noticeable. They treat the hairdressers as if you are their servant. And they just talk down to you. I mean, it's just, it's bad. Oh, they may tip you really big because, you know, you're one of those people. You know, they, they don't always say that, but that's the attitude. So it still goes on. It still happens. So Paul wants to make sure that these individuals, again, as Christians, and then again, as we relate to each other as believers, that we're thinking about ourselves in a proper way. But then he goes on after he says that, and he says uh, that we should think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So he immediately mentions that we're different and uses this phrasing that we each have a different measure of faith. That can mean a lot of things. Okay, What we do know is that According to Jesus, all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. So the amount of faith in that sense is never determines the value of the individual. You are made in the image of God. That makes you valuable, and that's it. God decides who he's going to give, for example, certain spiritual gifts to, and who he's not, based on his own, basically, thinking. It's not where he says, well... I think Bob deserves maybe another gift more than someone else because, you know, he's got certain abilities and someone's told him, no, that's not what goes on. God is not bound to that kind of thinking. God just determines what he's going to do and he's the one that decides for his own reasons why we have certain things. So there's no, and the reason why that's important just to at least accept is so that we always recognize that we don't have grounds to think that way, to think ever that we're better than anyone else. In fact, what's unique in the Bible is the way that the Bible describes just leadership in general. The way that God wants us to lead, and there's all, within any group, there's different levels of leadership. Okay, just like in the army, the army doesn't just have generals. You have generals, you have majors, you have captains, you have sergeants, you have different kinds. Everyone has a certain level of leadership, certain areas of responsibility. That's how everything kind of functions and functions better. So in a church, it's the same thing. You have elders, but, you, but then you have others who lead in different ways. A person may be leading a Bible study. They, they have a certain amount of inherent authority over those they teach. They're not the boss, but they're obviously in a place of being able to influence. Whether they're teaching adults or younger people or what have you, there's different kinds of ways that we all exercise leadership. The idea is, it's never because others are better than us or we're better than them. It's not, it's not like that. Um, again, it is more like a family. So whenever I, if I'm doing something for my wife or if I'm doing something for my kids or I'm doing something for my grandkids, I'm never thinking uh, at all about their status. I don't think about, you know, well, you know, my, my son is better than I am because he's got more gifts and abilities, so I'm going to do... I don't, that doesn't come into play. Or I am better than them, so I'm going to... That just isn't happy. You don't think that way. So it is to be the same way then among believers as we relate to each other. So he moves on then after he mentions about giving each one a different measure of faith. And he says, uh, he says, Now we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. So he just basically makes a very simple, straightforward clear-cut observation everybody knows. Just You have a body, and every piece of your body does not have the same function. 
That's it. All right? Eyes obviously function different than ears. Ears function very differently than your hands. That's just all he's saying. But he's saying that for a reason. All right? He says, in the same way, we who are many, that's, that's Christians, or Christians in a church, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the idea is in the same way that a body functions together. Okay? So when I want to eat, my, my whole body doesn't go limp and only my mouth works. Because that, that wouldn't work well. Right? So the arm and the shoulder and the hand cooperate with the mouth to get the food in the mouth so that I could chew and swallow and get it down into the stomach. And then when it gets down into the stomach, you know, it begins to be processed. And so the nutrients, you know, just all these things work together. And that's the idea. All these things work together so the body can function properly. So as, as, as a result of that, that's how he wants us to think. So then, just like you have a body, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So again, he's, why does he say according to grace? That's according to God's goodness. It's not according to us. It's according to God's goodness. God has given us different gifts. So these are spiritual gifts. So they're not natural abilities. They are, they are gifts that God has given to an individual. that We would call them supernatural. That does not mean, you know, like, woo kind of stuff. But the idea is that it's, it's given to us by God for the service of others. It's never for yourself. It's always for others. Right? That's why you have a gift. So uh, whatever spiritual gift or gifts you may have, um, remember that you are to use them uh, for God's glory, and that always means that they're being used to help or to serve other people. And so then he begins to talk about those things. So he says, if prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. So when it comes to prophecy, let me just say this. First of all, when it comes to any what we call speaking gifts, it seems to be the natural curse of humanity that individuals who have an ability to speak in whatever capacity, either they become arrogant or think others are lower than them and just, they just naturally want to be the boss. That's not how that works. Okay, we... Whatever gifts you have, again, are to serve others. It's, it's never to make you important. Now, you may be important because you influence a lot of people, and that's not sinful. You may be aware that you're influencing a lot of people. That's not sinful. But if you then begin to allow that to cause you or to have you treat others differently, poorly, or think that you're somehow better or that you're more important or even indispensable then that's the, that's, that's the wrong approach we have we're not allowing God to continue to change and affect our heart that he really does want us to be humble a, a, a story when I, when I my very first day as a jail chaplain I was on the big island of, big island of Hawaii and I went into the jail. It was a small jail. It, was, it only had 24 cells, but there was 120 inmates. So it was crowded. And um, so I spent, spent the day talking to different guys, just trying to get to know people. Let them know I was a chaplain. Let them know I was going to be there every day, that kind of thing. And um, one of the officers said, we got a guy in solitary. His name is John. Would you like to talk to him? I go, oh, absolutely. 
So I went in the back, uh, and there was this isolation cell. John had been put there for disciplinary reasons. He got into a fight. And so there's this man sitting in his underwear. There's a mat on the, uh, a, a, thi- a very uh, thin mattress on the floor and a toilet, and that was it. And he did have a Bible in there. And he'd been there for about a week. And so uh, we sat and talked for a while, and he was going to be getting out of there the next day uh, and allowed back in the general population. So we talked about maybe half an hour, 45 minutes or so, and then I left, and we agreed we'd talk the next day. Um, and so we did. And so as we're sitting there, uh, you know, I'm asking lots of questions about himself, getting to know him. He told me what he did and why he was there um, and whatnot. And so I kind of go through the scripture, and I lay out the gospel. So when I lay out the gospel and explain it, I asked him if he believed that Jesus Christ would forgive him of all of his sin. He said, oh, absolutely. And I said, um, would you like to do that? And he said, I already have. Now, I'm only telling you this story because my immediate <coughs> thought at that moment in time, which I did not voice, I thought, how is that possible? I just got here. That's what I thought. There was no other minister coming into that jail. So how is this possible? But I didn't say that. <laughs> that would be embarrassing to say that. So I said, oh, what do you mean? Tell me. And so he told me that when he was thrown into the isolation cell, he was obviously very angry because of, you know, the other guy should be in isolation too, and he wasn't. There was a fight, and he was all, you know, all amped up and all that and as after time he calmed down and of course you're in this room I mean if you've ever, never been in isolation that can be difficult it's not like it's not like when you're a kid and your parents tell you to go to your room and you've got a TV in there you know or iPad there's, there's nothing in there all right so one of the officers felt bad for him and say would you like a Bible he says I'm allowed to give you a Bible he said yeah I'll take a Bible and so we got the Bible and he, you know, he'd never seen, I mean, he knew what a Bible was, but he'd never seen one. And so he, he didn't know what to do with it. So he just kind of opened it up randomly and just started reading. And when he did that, he had no clue what he was reading. It made no sense to him. And he was trying hard, and he read it out loud to himself, and it was just a bunch of gobbledygook, and he just threw it across the room. He was just angry. Well, a couple hours later, he's bored out of his mind. Picks the Bible up again, opens it up to a different place, just starts randomly reading, same thing. I mean, he's just, he's, I mean, he's mad. And he just throws it against the wall as hard as he can. He's just had enough. And, uh, you know, finally he goes, you know, he has dinner, he goes to sleep. Next morning he wakes up and, uh, you know, he's, he's, now he's facing his first full day in isolation and, the only thing in there is a Bible. So he picked it up. This time he opened it up and, you know, to the table of contents and looked at it and was looking at all the different names of the books of the Bible and came to one that was John. It's his name. So he thought, okay, I'll start with John. And so he read all of John and then he read Acts and then he read Romans. And as he read through all of that, as he told me, he was just struck by the fact that he was just dirty on the inside, that he was a sinner, that he definitely needed to be forgiven, 
And this guy, Jesus, died for him. He says, I think, he says, didn't that book, that Roman book, doesn't it say, isn't it like, it's called like the gospel or something? I said, yeah. I said, it's the gospel. The go it's just a word that means good news. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's good news. And he said, so I, you know, I asked God to forgive me, and, and I know he did, you know, because it says that he'll do that, you know. <laughs> of course, this is really awesome, you know. And so I, what I felt at that moment was both not only happiness for him, but I felt that it was a rebuke of the Lord, basically saying, yeah, I don't need you here to give the gospel to anybody. I'm going to let you be here, be a part of what I'm doing, which is great. Because I needed to hear that. And that's exactly what I heard, loud and clear. And uh, John was a great guy. He grew, he was in for murder, uh, and he did it. Uh, he grew in the Lord, um, and he, uh, his, his, I mean, his life just continued to transform. Uh, when he was sentenced, he was singing hymns all the way back from the, from the courthouse in the van. The guard thought he'd lost it. And uh, they called me, wanted me to talk to John. And I asked the guard, you want to come in while I talk to John? He said, no, I don't need any part of that. And so I talked to John, and John was like, look. He says, I knew what I was getting. He said, I knew. He says, but, but um, you know, I just, I didn't know what my, you know, he got life with a, he could have gotten life with a 15 or 20-year minimum, meaning after a certain number of years, you're eligible for parole. And so he got life with a 20-year minimum. He says, so he said, basically, my life is pretty easy now. I know exactly where I'm going to be for 20 years, no matter what. I know what prison I'm going to go to. He says, my only, he says, my only prayer request is that I get to work in the chaplain's office because I want to be around the Bible and I want to be around the chaplain. I want to grow and I want to serve God. And so I have to serve God there in the Halava prison because that's where I'm going. And he says, my life now is just so simple. He says, I'm free. And which was true. He just hit. I, who, who can do that to somebody? Only God can do that. It was incredible. Um, and uh, in fact, every now and then I would fly over to Oahu, to the main island, and uh, whenever I went to go visit the, the Halaba prison, he was there, serving God and, and growing in his faith and doing great. So anyway, so the idea then is that when it comes to these things, there's no place uh, for arrogance or anything. So the idea there... Yeah, if prophecy, so if someone has the gift of prophecy, uh, they are to use it. He says they use it according to the standard of one's faith. Uh, so th there seems to be this indication in the scripture that even when it comes to spiritual gifts, that those spiritual gifts vary in degree. I'm not sure how all that works out. Um, the, the best way I can think of illustrating that is like when it comes to teaching, there are some individuals who have maybe a very large teaching ministry because they seem, to be, they seem to be especially gifted in being able to communicate. Uh, so I, you know, when I say that, I know there's a lot of individuals who have a big teaching ministry and, and they don't know what they're doing because they're misleading people. But the ones that are, the ones that are solid just have this incredible uh, a gift of teaching and they have a, a ministry that affects people around the world. And many times these are individuals they didn't try to make that happen. It just kind of happened. It kind of evolved naturally. And so those individuals, would, I would say, would have a greater measure of the gift of teaching than others. There's no room, that's why there's no room for jealousy in the ministry. If God hasn't gifted you to do that, then why are you upset that you can't do that? Just, you know, I don't know who said it. It's not in the Bible, but you know how it is, bloom where you're planted? That's just what you do. 
you know, and got to take care of the rest. Uh, and so that's kind of the idea when he, when he mentions this. Then he moves on. He says, if service in service. So basically, there's just this, there's a spiritual gift that where you just serve other people. It's just a very common thing. You just, other people need to help you to do it. All right, you're given a supernatural, the supernatural ability, whether, whether that might be interpreted as being a supernatural energy uh, or desire. Um, it's just that you, you have an innate desire and ability to be able to serve others. Uh, probably think nothing of it. You just, you're just there. People need something, you're able to do it, you want to do it. And a lot of times that, some people might describe that as individuals who are behind the scenes. Whether it's true or not true, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Because as we do these things, we do them for the Lord. Now, what's important about any of these gifts that we have and anything that we're, we're doing in the church, what's really important for us to recognize and understand is if we are doing it for the Lord, that then would mean that you would never get upset if you're not recognized for what you do. <coughs> and a lot of times, that's what happens. We're not recognized for what we do, or we're not getting the recognition we think we should receive, and we get upset. And if that happens, that does reveal that you're doing it for the wrong reason. Now, that doesn't mean that people in the church shouldn't be grateful, because they should be, okay? That never, that never means that someone else who may have done wrong by omission is right. But when it comes to you, you so whether you're teaching fourth grade boys, which maybe nobody wants to teach, uh, and no one ever thanks you for doing it, that's not what, you're not doing it so people will thank you. If you're the one that's washing dishes or doing the nursery, you know, those are really important things that people do that really help the whole church to function and can easily be, in a sense, overlooked, and the church shouldn't overlook those things, but if the church does, you shouldn't get all huffy about it. Because, and if you think about it, the moment you start wanting others to recognize you for whatever it is you've done, no matter how much recognition comes your way, it'll never be enough. Because you'll never be satisfied. You're always going to want, pretty soon you start getting critical. Well, I mean, yeah, so-and-so said thank you, but that was just two people. What does that mean? Oh, you want a trophy now? I mean, it just, it just kind of goes on and on. And so... You know, there's this idea that if we are serving the Lord, the Lord will ensure that you are encouraged in whatever way he deems that you should be encouraged. It's just important for us to make sure that we're truly serving the Lord. And, there, and I do think that there may be times, and this would just be an example of that kind of thing, where perhaps you may not be recognized for a while because God desires to expose that dark spot in your heart. That gets upset and gets angry that people don't appreciate you. So yeah, that's, that's human nature. It's very difficult to overcome some of those kind of deep inside, deeply ingrained attitudes that, that are very sinful. That can really affect us in a lot of ways. That bitterness, that's where bitterness goes. That's how bitterness starts. Bitterness is a unique kind of sin. Because there's only one verse in the Bible that mentions this in the New Testament. But bitterness is a unique sin that it has the ability that if you are bitter, you can defile many people. Now the word defile there, I think, in my opinion, is, is a very important word because it's normally used uh, in the context of an individual. That individual is defiled. 
That means that individual is unable to worship God. So you see that on the Old Testament. Uh, if you touch a dead body, you're defiled. And so there's a certain number of days that has to go by before you can go and worship in the temple. And you, there has to be a sacrifice made, certain kinds of washings, all of that. Um, and there's a lot of laws about becoming defiled. And the Jews are very terrified of becoming defiled because you can become defiled in a lot of different ways. But that word is normally used in that way. So I think, uh, and I believe this is correct, that when that word is used in the New Testament in the context of bitterness, that that word is selected because of that. That that word is used so we understand that we then have this ability, if we become bitter, that we have this ability to cause other people to <coughs> slip into a, into a position where their hearts are darkened or uh, somehow misled to where it, it interrupts their ability to worship God. And they may not be aware of it, but, but you know, because the attitudes that go along with bitterness can kind of rub off on other people. It doesn't mean they're going to suddenly become bitter themselves, but there's something that can take place. There's, there's, a, there's a tension that can be created. Maybe, that, maybe there's a person who likes you, your kind of friends, and so you let it come out you know, in your bitterness that you believe somehow you've been mistreated. And so now this individual forms in their mind who they think is at fault for that. And let's say that whoever they think is at fault for that is someone who's up here on Sunday morning, where that person is preaching or maybe that person is leading in music. And so now that individual is sitting out here, and let's say that person is leading music, and now we're going to sing together, and this individual is looking at that person, and now they're starting to think about... I can't, you know, they may not always say these kinds of things, but it's kind of like this. I can't believe they're smiling like that because I know what they did to my friend. Well, that someone's not thinking about worshiping the Lord, are they? So, so bitterness can begin to affect people. It's not always that obvious in that sense. There's a lot, there's tons of scenarios that, it can, that these things can happen. But the important thing is, is that we want to make sure that, that, we, that we don't engage in that. So... <coughs> These, these things that Paul is mentioning here are not only important for us to understand as far as understanding how a church is to function, but it's how we are to function and in the way we are to function with our gifts. Um, and so that's really uh, very important. He goes on then and says, if teaching in teaching. So again, when it comes to teaching, there are some individuals who have an ability um, to teach no matter what age group. There are some who are maybe limited and they can only teach a certain age group. Um, uh, sometimes there's individuals who may think, well, I only, they only want to speak to a large group. Uh, that can be egotistical. Um, but the idea is whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's with a certain age group, whatever it happens to be, the idea is that if you are teaching, you're doing it to the Lord. You do it to the measures been given to you, which basically means that you, you need to put your effort into that. There's, there's not this kind of thing that, well, I'm only teaching high schoolers if I was teaching adults, I would do more study. That, to me, that's just not, that's not right. We, we need to study because we want to pour as much as we can at us. You're never going to give everything you study into whoever you're teaching. That's not going to happen. But the more you know, the better you're going to be. Because you're going to, be, you're going to continue to be affected by the Word of God as well, as well as you want to be able to handle correctly the, the Word of God, which means you're not just translating it or, or interpreting it correctly, but even when it comes sometimes to the nuances of the Word of God, you're able to cover those things and help apply it to whatever the situation the person is going through. Um, and so I remember one time a guy in our church here at, told me that he was very interested in teaching. 
And, and he had envisioned himself, not in an arrogant way, but he had envisioned himself to being able you know, to teach men and want to teach the Bible. And he was very gung-ho about that, and so, uh, which was great. And I said, that would be, that would be good. I said, I said, we do have an immediate need. I said, it's not with men. Um, and I said, I, th I think it might be good for you. And the reason why I said that is because I knew that he was very intelligent. And I knew that no matter where he taught, he might have difficulty in breaking things down so people can follow it. So there's a good way to break that. And that's to put you in a position where if you don't break it down, you will know no one's getting it. And so I said, we, we, ha I said, we have a need for someone to teach fourth, fifth, and sixth grade boys. He said, I've never been around kids. I can't teach kids. And he wasn't, and again, he wasn't, didn't think it was below him. He just thought, yeah, just, this is not going to happen. I said, well, I said, uh, I don't believe in coincidences. That's the need we have right now. And I think it'd be beneficial for them. And I said, it would be beneficial for you. And I told him why. I said, you and I both know sometimes when you talk to people, they completely miss what you're saying. He was an engineer. And I said, you're an engineer. You're the one telling me how weird engineers are. And, and I'm learning. You are. <laughs> and that's why I said, so you need to break it down so they can get this. I said, so, but I said, now, if you're not going to be committed, he goes, no, you know what? You're right. I, 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 if that's where it is, I need to be committed. I said, okay, good. I said, you start in two weeks. And so uh, two weeks later, he started. He did a great job. He got better and better. In fact, he said, uh, if there's no teaching for next year, I'll do it again. I said, no problem. He was still who he was, you know, kind of a nerd. He at times difficult to understand, but it opened his heart up to these kids that he would have never normally met or ever talked to. Taught them the word of God as best he could, and he got better at it, and he was, found himself being able to better communicate the Bible to other people as well. Uh, and so it was, it was not what he thought would take place. I obviously, I had never thought about this guy teaching those kids. I mean, they never thought that occurred to me until the moment he told me that he really wanted to teach. And then that just thought came to my head, you know, and I'll, I will say the Lord planted there. So I didn't, God didn't speak to me verbally, um, but it just seemed, oh, well, you know, I got this really strange idea and I think this might work. And um, so, and I wasn't playing with the kids' lives because I, I did know this. I knew that if he committed to it, he would be committed. I knew that and that he took very seriously what the Word of God said, and I knew that. So that's why I felt very comfortable with it. If anybody has that kind of approach to the Bible, you're going to be okay. So the idea is, once again, is that we're doing this for the Lord, and, and then let the Lord take care of how this is uh, going to pan out and who's going to be influenced. And so we need to be open to that. Uh, then he goes on in verse 8, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, uh, so there is, a, there is this uh, a spiritual gift of giving, probably more than just money, but, but it, doesn't, it never excludes that, where the individual uh, is very generous, doesn't mean that, th that they're just a bleeding heart and they just throw money around to anybody, uh, but they are very, very giving. Um, I, ha I could tell you literally hundreds of stories, because I've been involved, when I was a jail chaplain, the group I worked for is called a parachurch ministry, which basically means what's supposed to be. It's a ministry to a specific group uh, that is outside of the church. In other words, it's not a ministry of one church. 
this group does that and churches and Christians support it. Um, and so that was a part of that group. And so I heard stories, whether it was the ministry I was involved in or others as far as jail ministry, and it was amazing the kinds of stories you hear of individuals and the kind of money they would give. Now, I don't always know, knew what their income was, uh, but, I, but I, I met people who both were poor and those who were wealthy who both gave incredibly generous, generously. And it didn't matter to them if, if other, they weren't trying to get others to know. They didn't care if others knew and they would never tell. You know, so I knew, I knew older women who were on fixed incomes who could not afford to give more than a certain amount, who at times would give more and just trust the Lord to meet their needs. And God always did. Um, I heard stories of, uh, uh, this happened to me once. I, I was, you know, I always had to go around and always present the ministry. That's how I got involved in this church way back in 1992 as I was trying to raise support for the jail ministry. This was the first church to support what I did, which was great. But anyway, uh, so I, I was uh, going out to a, this little Methodist church in Rinkin. It took me a while to find it. There was no GPS back then. Well, if there was, I didn't have one. Um, but anyway, I was trying to find this church. I finally found it. It was a Wednesday night. And uh, so I went in, and there were six people. I made seven. Now I'm going to present the ministry, and I'm going to ask them to support the ministry financially. Six people. But I had heard enough stories from all my other friends who were chaplains that you just, you, you, just, you just do what you do as if the wealthiest people in the world are there and as if there's always a thousand people. You just do the best job you can. You let God take care of the rest. And so that's just what I did. I just spoke. I was always enthusiastic about what I did. So I spoke enthusiastic about the jail and what God was doing in the jail and the lives of primarily men is the one I work with. There was, I did sometimes work with the women in the, in the jail, but there really weren't that many of them. Uh, but I, I talked about what I did, what was going on, that kind of thing, and told them about where we were financially. Uh, that was, it was during my first year of uh, being a chaplain, so we were short funds. Uh, we needed about, I think, $20,000 to break even for the year. So we were kind of running at a, a deficit. And I assumed that I'd probably get 100 bucks, and that'd be about it, maybe, who knows. And, uh, but I was wrong, I got nothing. Um, I made the appeal, I talked to them, and so, you know, but we shook hands. I talked with several of the guys afterwards, and I left. Two weeks later, an envelope came in the mail. There's a letter. The letter was from a guy that was in that group that night. And the letter he told me about his son. And his son had been in jail, not the jail I was at, but had been in jail, had been arrested. And he told me this very sad story about his son, how he had just gone really wayward got mixed up with the wrong people, and ended up, he was stabbed in jail, um, and he died. And he said he was very interested in the things that I was doing, clearly wished that there was something like that when his son was in jail, but there wasn't. Um, but, that he, but he believed that um, it wasn't an accident that he was there that night, because he normally was unable to make Wednesday nights. Uh, but because of whatever he did, something had canceled, and so he decided to go, and that's how we met. And in there was a check for $35,000. So we were in the black and $10,000 to the good. Who knew? <laughs> I had no idea. I, don't even know, I still don't know who the guy is. I don't know what he does for a living, but 35, the check cleared. Uh, you know, I called my boss. I said, well, I said, I know you're worried about the finances, but, you know, God, God kind of came through. It's all good. 
And, there's, and I know other guys who have even more incredible stories uh, about the things that God has done. And it's just, that's just how it goes. You know? So you, just, you, can, you can trust God. You just trust Him. And, you know, to us, it's last minute. But it's never last minute to God. Because God always knew when He was going to do that. You know? The waiting is for us. Yes, sir. Pastor, mm. can you uh, explain Exhortation is, is basically where you're giving someone warning uh, and or encouragement at the same time. The idea is to, to uh, uh, encourage them to listen to the scripture, encourage them to listen to the truth. Uh, and so there's, there's that idea of uh, um, pleading with someone either to follow the Lord or to get right with the Lord or that kind of thing. Or, or to get right, like, you know, like some, I might be talking to a guy and I might say, you're not treating your wife right. You really need to start doing what the Word of God says. So I'm exhorting him to, to do what's right, uh, that kind of thing. So a warning can be in there also. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, absolutely, clearly. Yeah. Yep. How did you put that in the beginning? Warning and what? Encouraging. It's kind of a mixture. It can be a, a one or the other or both. A lot of times I think those things are kind of brought together. Um, because you, even when you warn somebody, the goal is not to belittle them. You know, you are encouraging them to follow the Lord. But there's, there's this pleading and, and in a sense, um, a, a warning, uh, either because their situation may get worse or what, depending on what the, what the, what the situation is. But um, that's kind of what's going on with that. So again, after uh, giving, um, he talks about leading with diligence. So the idea of leading there, again, is not so much because you want to be in charge, uh, but you want to help the group or whatever to, to get something accomplished for the Lord. And so, you, so you're going to lead um, and you give your whole self to, to leading, uh, whether it's small or big. And then the idea of showing mercy, which usually has to do with uh, what we would call individual ministry, where you're being merciful to, uh, to someone. Um, uh, and, and so as you help them, you're doing so with great cheerfulness. The idea is to... Normally, the idea is, as we minister to others is to help them to either find the Lord or, or to grow as believers in their walk with the Lord, to mature. And that's what we want to see take place. Um, is there some association with that? Even, for example, even if someone is, is watching the nursery so more people can go to church or to Bible study, then what you're doing is serving them to help them in their growth because that's the process of what's going to happen when they go to Bible study or whatever. Uh, so, this, so whether it's directly or indirectly, there's that kind of thing involved. Um, uh, being merciful may be that you're work, you know, let's say you're talk, talking to an individual who has gotten an abortion and they believe or feel that God would, would never forgive them because they've come to understand what that really is. So you have, so you are there, you're showing mercy, which doesn't mean you're telling them it's okay because it's not okay. But you're letting them know where they're going to find mercy, where they're going to find forgiveness and how that's going to work. Uh, and so, the, so you're not doing it in a judgmental way. You know, the idea of doing it cheerfully is that this is what you want to do, um, but it's also the idea that you are, uh, I guess the better word would be joyful as opposed to happiness. The idea is there's this, this sense of peace and contentment you have with God and sharing with them the gospel message, trying to encourage this individual. Uh, but the idea is, is that, um, you know, like when Jesus, when, when they brought the woman to him, who was caught in adultery, right? As Jesus showed her mercy, 
he still told her, go and sin no more. He basically said, don't do this anymore. He still said that. He still confronted her with what she had done, but he didn't belittle her. He didn't make a spectacle out of her. Um, you know, when he met the woman at the well, who was clearly a prostitute, um, in one way or another, his goal was never to belittle her or to embarrass her, but he, he spoke to her truthfully uh, and, and got to the main point, which was he was living water. Um, and so uh, that's kind of the idea with that. We'll stop there and we will pick it up in verse uh, 9 uh, because Paul continues to be very practical uh, in the advice he's giving as to how we apply the word of God to our, to our living. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful again to you for your love and your kindness and your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the provision you've given to the church. Father, maybe all of us, but I think most of us, Father, have been the recipients of the kinds of ministries that other people have used in the church throughout different times in our life where people have been merciful to us and people have taught us the word of God, people have been kind to us, people have given to us, people have, have uh, encouraged us or even warned us. We thank you, Father, for all of that and how you've used these people and, and these spiritual gifts in our lives to help us to, to grow and to mature. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to do the same, uh, to never be concerned, Father, about the kind of credit or recognition we might get or maybe what we don't get, but, Father, have a genuine desire to serve you and to serve others and, and to be content and even happy, Father, as others are encouraged and as they are... Um, as they move on in, in their walk with the Lord as they grow. Father, we ask now that as we bring our time here to a close, that you would dismiss us with your blessing. That, Father, you would continue to watch over us. Use us, Father, in the lives of others as you see fit. We do ask, Lord, that you would continue to use people in our lives as all of us need to be encouraged and we need to continue to grow ourselves. We thank you, Father, again for never leaving us alone. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.